Welcome everybody to today's CIT Tech for Business podcast. We're sitting down with Todd and Matthew to talk about how to navigate cybersecurity insurance questionnaires. We're going to start off with an icebreaker this morning so you get to know everybody on the call. We're going to talk about what if one if you could bring back one fashion trend, what would it be? I'll go first. I'm Kelsey from our marketing team. And because my brain is there, because I just bought tickets for the Bridgerton experience here in Minneapolis, there's a part of me that really loves long dresses, which I get are not functional. I probably wouldn't really like to wear day to day. But there's like a small part of me that's like, if I was rich and fancy enough to do that, I'm here for it. What about you, Tara? So as Kelsey mentioned, Tara from the marketing team, and this was a no-brainer for me right away rolled blue jeans back in the 90s i'm dating myself i know is a cool trend but i feel like now most of us ladies are rolling it and even men too depending upon your footwear and your your jean level if you're wearing the short ones that they do a rolled jean but completely different because there was a design and all of that but i can talk fashion in the 90s all day long but i won't um, because i know that's not what we're supposed to be talking about but i'll hand it over to you todd I'm looking forward to the fashion podcast tangent extravaganza. <laughs> uh, as Tara said, I'm Todd. I am CIT's uh, chief security officer. Um, mine would be, I'm a, I'm a kid of the 80s, so mine would be parachute pants without a doubt. Boom. How about you, Matthew? Yeah, uh, I mean, I'll, I'll second parachute pants, uh, but I'm Matthew. <laughs> I'm a governance risk and compliance analyst and I, I don't know. I think uh, Kelsey's inspired me with her uh, Bridgerton, but I want tops and tails, like full tuxedos. And uh, yeah, why not? I I mean, at the same time, I'm rarely leaving the house at the moment. So maybe I just, <laughs> maybe that's part of it. But as as ridiculous as the amount of prep is to get to get dressed into that outfit, it's always nice, right? Right. CIT funded valet. No big deal. Exactly. So what we yeah. need. We do a white tie event, bow ties all out. I think it's great. So we're going to take all of our meetings, look for that in future podcasts that will just be super dressed up hours and hours of prep for 30 minutes that nobody will watch. Yeah. Brilliant. <laughs> Sounds good. Well, awesome. Now that we're looking forward to Todd wearing parachute pants on a future episode. <laughs> Today we're talking, right, cybersecurity insurance questionnaires. We're talking somebody is either doing a renewal or they just were looking into getting cybersecurity insurance. They were handed a questionnaire. They then come to Todd or to Matthew and they say, what is this? Can you translate it for me? That's what prompted the podcast. Todd, I'll let you take it away. Uh, sure. So full disclosure, I actually never owned a pair of parachute pants. So this would be my opportunity to. Uh, <laughs> it's your moment. Uh, well, thank you. Uh, yeah, so this is basically what ends up happening is we often work with a lot of customers that they're going through cybersecurity insurance and and um, I'm going to address this piece right up front. Um, I think a lot of people will potentially, maybe not, maybe nobody will ask this question, but just in case is, is it worth getting cybersecurity insurance? My opinion is yes. And I'll, I'll do a little background. When it comes to cybersecurity, there's a handful of things that you can do with risk. And one of them is you can mitigate it and that's putting in security tools or controls or doing training or whatever the case may be. You can accept it. You're saying it would cost way too much money to mitigate that concern. 
or you can transfer that risk to somebody else. And what cybersecurity insurance is, is it's transitioning that risk to somebody else. And the risk that you're talking about is a potential cost, whether that's due to an outage or a restoration or pain of a ransom or whatever the case may be, that insurance is there for you to be able to, to tap into so you're not losing the funding from the company. Um, my opinion is, yes, it's worth that because the cost for the insurance is low enough to mitigate it. Um, I was actually writing some content for something coming up for Cybersecurity Awareness Month. And uh, one of the things that's out there is 80%. Yes, woo, we got it. Here we are. Uh, 80% of organizations suffered some sort of uh, attack breach incident last year. Um, and if it's that high, that seems to indicate to me that that's a major problem and there is some need to have some associated compensation for it, thus the insurance. So, um, Maybe that's not what you came here for, but I'm just going to lay it out that that's where we need to start. So um, typically what ends up happening is um, we've really seen a fairly significant transition from cybersecurity insurance to being a, a couple of questions on a piece of paper. You filled it out, you sent it back, boom, you had insurance. It was great. Um, turns out that because of that 80% event ranking that I said, the insurance companies paid out a lot of money and they said, well, we don't really like that. So while we're accepting the risk, we're actually going to make sure that you do your due diligence before we just sign off on it. Uh, in the cybersecurity world, what that means is a lot of acronyms, a lot of geeky, nerdy stuff. And our customers are just kind of left going, what is this bag or this piece of paper that you gave to me that I don't know what to do with? And so they reach out to us going, uh, help. Yeah. Um, I will add that there was. It in my opinion on this, I've been in the cyber security space for about three years now. And even in the time that I've been here, the language has changed significantly about how we talk about it. It's gone from if it happens to when it happens. We internally and, and across the industry, I feel like we've, we've no longer thought of a way to mitigate it and ensure we can stop it because there are things that come out, there are vulnerabilities that maybe you can't be prepared for. Um, and so the idea is when it happens, what are you going to do? And cybersecurity insurance in my mind is, is part of that process of how you're prepared for it. Um, and then I've completely forgotten my train of thought because it's that <laughs> type of day. Um, my apologies. <laughs> um, uh, I'll send it back to you, Todd, while I get back on track, if that's okay. <laughs> Sure. So kind of swinging back to the should you get it, shouldn't you? Um, there are some things that I would say that most organizations should probably consider as well. So um, there are times when you're working with a partner where a partner may come back and say, hey, we expect you to have at least and it could be uh, some magic number, $3 million, $5 million. I don't really know. It will depend on that partner. Uh, but it does come up from time to time. So as you're going through this, keep that in the back of your mind that some of your contracts may specify it. I realize that contracts stink and nobody likes reading them and, and Microsoft makes you sign them. And so you kind of skim through them. But the reality is you shouldn't look at them because there may be some kind of compensation that they're requiring you to have in there as well. So keep that in mind. Um, the other things I guess I'd start going through is, again, what we're seeing is there's more and more payouts going on. So this is what this is going on to our, um, what we're seeing again, used to be just a couple of questionnaires. Do you have MFA? Do you have antivirus? And that was sufficient. That has really, really changed. So every single one that I see today, it starts out, do you have multi-factor authentication? Um, we've got a podcast about it. So if you want to do a deep dive on it, it it's available out there. I, I'd highly recommend it. 
where you start with multi-factor is it, it they tell you to do it on everything, right? So your insurance company is going to come back and say, I want you to multi-factor everything. Anything internet-facing, your switching, your firewalls, everything. That's not realistic for everybody. Um, there are some things that you can do to compensate controls to kind of limit that. Like you can make sure that you only have access to certain things internally. That doesn't solve the problem, but there are things that you can do with it. Um, the other major change that we saw over the last year is uh, endpoint detection response. Again, it used to just be antivirus. Do you have next-gen antivirus? Complete shift. It's almost a requirement across the board. You need to have EDR in the future. Yeah, and there's, we're, we're seeing a lot of these come through with with not just updates, but changes, renewals to, to what you have currently. Um, it's It's getting deeper into what type of EDR you have sometimes as well um, and whether you have we're seeing like you mentioned less of those antivirus being mentioned at all um, sometimes it's not even in, uh, they're not even asking if you have it anymore it's almost assumed uh, the EDR being a requirement now uh, then we're seeing things uh, such as a requirement for sims um, coming through and, and log aggregation are you tracking access and and items being uh, across the system, uh, is there a SOC team, a 24-7 SOC team that's monitoring your environment where I've noticed those come through regularly? From a from a perspective of, of why, the why the insurance company is asking for this, Todd, have you noticed that there's a... Um, I'm trying to think of how to phrase this. Um, there's a, it tends to be that you can answer yes or no to a lot of these questions. Maybe there's an NA section in, in some of them, but rarely. Um, have you found any consistencies between those types of responses or whether or not it seems to be impacting the outcomes of these if they're in there or not? Sure. Um, so a couple of things. One, I want to skip back real quick. Matthew mentioned SIM, in case anybody doesn't know what that is. It's security, uh, incident, and event management. So it's it's just a tool set that's on there. We were talking about EDR. EDR is endpoint detection. Um, SIM tends to be more of the network side. So it's monitoring what's happening across the network and not just on the endpoints themselves. And that is a big thing. Um, Matthew also mentioned that they're getting very specific where they're saying, okay, you're saying you have it, but tell me which one you have, which is yeah. a next evolution of please do it. Um, so just kind of getting that stuff out there. Those things do exist. You, hopefully you know what those are if you've got them in your systems. If not, reach out to your partner, look through your agreements, that type of thing. Um, in regards to does it have an impact? It does. Um, more often than not, um, what you're typically seeing is you're getting levels of how much your premiums are going to cost. So last year was the first year, and I, maybe it was a little bit of end of 21, beginning of 22, where I saw people getting denied insurance because they didn't have multi-factor in EDR. The deeper questions, the conversations like, do you have SIM? Do you have SOC? SOC is Security Operations Center, by the way. Um, and that's, is, is there somebody monitoring the alert so it's not just a, a bucket where it's getting full and overflowing, it's actually somebody paying attention to it. Those types of questions may impact how much the premium costs. So the more things that you have in place that mitigate the risk, the better your insurance is. So I, I'll make the correlation of, Cybersecurity insurance has really started to match what you see for health or life insurance these days where they want to know, 
what is your weight, what's your age, what is your family's history with cancer, that kind of stuff is all things that are just naturally out there. These people aren't stupid. They're in the business to make money. And so they're going, okay, I I now understand the things I need to make sure you're doing. So we're going to ask those really tough questions of you as well. I like that description. And and I feel like it's it works similarly in that some of that information is going to impact your premiums. And some of it is them data gathering. Uh, sometimes they just want to see if there's any correlations they can find internally. The distinction between those questions is not something they tell you. So obviously we want to be answering them as, as best we can uh, to give them what they need to to better these in the future. Um, so thank you, Todd. Uh, other things we're seeing, I'm seeing some DNS sec requirements. So uh, domain, domain name uh, security um, to ensure that the, the website you're going to, the data, the way that's flowing is being monitored, tracked and encrypted. Uh, that one is a little bit less common, but there are some tools that are coming out now to make it a lot easier than it used to be. Uh, we're also seeing a lot of questions about backups. Um, what we call the the three, two, one style of three different backups from two different solutions, uh, one of which is remote offline or in the cloud and segmented from the rest of the network, uh, as well as if that information is encrypted and encrypted in transit, uh, which is a big one that I know I've been seeing more often. <laughs> uh, a lot of people don't think of whether or not it's being encrypted that way, or I've seen some places that will take the backup um, to a, a local hard drive and then maybe put it in a, a bank vault or something. But in between the time it's being transferred, it's not encrypted, um, which was a fun, which is going to be a fun conversation to explain why that's important. Um, <laughs> Fun conversation for me. I like to talk about this stuff. Um, the then we get on to uh, my favorite part: the uh, the type of compliance and uh, policies that they're requiring a lot. Uh, a business continuity plan, an incident response plan. Uh, we've done a podcast on the incident response plan that I think should be available by the time this one comes out. Uh, so definitely have a listen to that. But these these documents uh, are about ensuring that the organization doesn't come to a standstill. So they're requiring them to make sure that you can continue working while the rest of the process is going on on their side of things. Yeah, I wanted to expand on um, the incident response plan in particular. So I had mentioned statistically that 80 percent of organizations were having some sort of incident or another. Um, you're starting to see this coming up on the questionnaires and and I'm personally kind of inferring what I think that means is do you have the incident response plan in place? Uh, again, statistically about 80% of organizations don't have one, which to me, this is the inference is, are they starting to get at the fact that you may be negligent, you know you're going to have a problem and you have no plan to address that? You probably won't see any anybody being denied insurance because of it, but you could certainly potentially put your mind in that state saying, boy, I can see where they're kind of going with that, going, boy, they don't like us that much and they really <laughs> do not want to pay this out. Uh, oh, circling back on one other thing, too, is uh, the DNS security that that Matthew mentioned. Um, to kind of give you an idea of things that you could be looking for, there there is a tool that we typically use for that layer of defense, and it's uh, Cisco's umbrella, Cisco umbrella. So just throwing that out there, don't don't try to always press a whole lot of tools out there, but just to kind of give you what should you be looking for, that's the type of tool set that fills that particular gap. 
um, swinging back to the incident response plan, there's probably no real surprise that what this questionnaire is really starting to get to is there is a security model out there, whether it's NIST or PCI or HIPAA or you name it. Those models are basically what these things are looking for is they're going, show me the maturity of your organization. Tell me that you're getting better. So as such, another one that I saw that I, I hadn't seen prior to this year is, do you do what's referred to as a tabletop exercise? Tabletop exercise is I'm going to put a scenario in there that says, you got ransomware. What are you going to do with it? And then the answer should be, I pulled out my incident response plan and I looked at it and I said, call the insurance company. Yeah. <laughs> in the... In the incident response plan podcast, I kind of go into that description I have of, of treating it like a computer-based fire evacuation plan. And so it, with that analogy, a tabletop exercise is running a drill. You are testing to make sure everyone knows the rules, gets out of the building safely. And we're doing the same thing here. Do you know who to turn to if there is one? And this is critical. They'll often ask for a copy of it. Um, depending on what type of insurance they provide, if they're assisting in the solution, that can be critically important for who they're reaching out to as well. So that there's a lot of useful, there is a lot of usefulness to having one of those documents and testing it, running through it. It's a requirement and a lot of compliance, like Todd mentioned. But I think it's useful for everyone, even without specific compliance. I, I personally am very glad it's been added <laughs> to the insurance requirement. There is a little bit of fun that can be brought into what is an incredibly stressful situation by doing tabletop exercises because it is a little bit, well, it's a very serious situation. There is ways to inject lightness to it that you won't have during a real incident to hopefully ease that stress during any moments where it does happen. Um, I agree. It, having a plan, even even if, if you've heard the phrases before that no plan survives contact, to use the military terminology, it doesn't matter. You still have a plan. There's still a methodology that you go, okay, there is structure here. Stay, staying on that kind of thinking, there are other things that we're seeing pop in. Do you do security reviews? Like, do you look at your firewalls? Again, a direct correlation to what you see in compliance and security maturity. Do you do penetration testing? I've yet to see anybody be denied insurance because they haven't done a penetration test, but it's starting to get added. The questions are starting to get show up. Um, and, and again, one more thing that's kind of in there is your legacy systems. Do you have end-of-life systems? Do you have FTP on the systems? Do you still allow remote desktop? Those kinds of things are all kind of jumbled in there too. And again, what they're trying to say is, do you have weaknesses in your defenses that are easily exploitable? Yeah. It's, are you aware of what you have? Are you actively looking at it to see if you can get rid of it without needing it? Um, machines that are maybe older using storing archive data, obviously, could have been shut down. They're, this is what I feel they're looking at. And obviously, they don't provide a lot of information to anyone about why they're asking these questions. But <laughs> the that's that's a lot of of what I think it comes down to is they're asking you to confirm that you know what you're what you're looking at and what you have in your system. One thing I mentioned about penetration testing is that I feel that we're seeing a lot of uh, digital penetration testing being requested. It's purely talking about are you scanning your systems? Are you running automated systems? There's not a lot of the, you know, the having someone try and get into your building using the systems. When I, I'm not seeing a lot of that at all. If if any, I think it's I don't think maybe once i've seen a reference to that 
<laughs> the system. So uh, as cool as that side of things is, when we look at the uh, movie world, it's not something that's impacting the insurance itself. So uh, next, uh, I'm seeing we're seeing some email filtering and sandboxing. So um, a lot of this coming up in in the uh, the firewall side of things when it comes to sandboxing, but checking to see if the files and the uh, the attachments, the emails themselves contain viruses or or anything, if that information is being scanned and maybe reopened in a sandbox environment, which is a safe space that can be deleted and removed without causing problems to your network. Some tools do have this pre-built into it and will do it for you as a way of testing if there's anything problematic, uh, but we're, we're seeing that more and more. It's also including config stuff, uh, DKIM. Um, are you getting, uh, do you have a banner across those emails saying that something is uh, coming from an external source so that you can instantly tell if someone's faking the name of the person who sent the email? Yeah, uh, again, so so that, that type of tool set is more upstream. Um, if you were to ask me, I kind of nailed it at the beginning as two top things. If you... <laughs> I'm going to tip my hand a little bit. If you do nothing else, do your MFA, do your EDR. But this other things definitely help with a lot of the other things that are going on. One of the other things we've noticed is they're starting to ask, do you have a password manager, which correlates directly to, um, they don't really specify this so much, but they what's referred to as privilege access management. And what that is, is ideally most organizations, you should not have administrative rights to basically anything as your daily usage of your account. So if you need an admin account, what should happen is your IT guy, your system admin should be able to log in as Todd admin and do the things he needs to do. So you need some of that privilege access. Again, direct correlations to that. They're saying if you've got that admin, if you've got ser service accounts, which would be stuff that you would use for your backups, those should be long randomly generated passwords. And when I say long, 25 characters so not something you're going to easily remember but you would store it in some sort of password manager to help you through that process as well definitely and and we've we've got a podcast on um passwords and password managers and going passwordless and obviously we can't do that in some environments but definitely a not only are we seeing it it's 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 a requirement it is definitely something that you they're expecting you to do now um there's reviews in this as well. Are you reviewing these accounts? Are you reviewing who has access to what uh, that, that we're seeing come up occasionally? I think they're going to become more common. I think that with, with some of the things that we're talking about here, we're going to start seeing additional requirements or maybe more stringent requirements. Uh, the, the policies that we talked about earlier, right now, I feel like the, they're expecting to be updated you know, once every two years or so. We know that within compliance, it's yearly. Uh, with a lot of the compliance frameworks, they're expected to be updated yearly. I wouldn't be surprised if we start seeing that requirement to yearly as well in the next coming months and years. Uh, I think MFA will get more stringent as well. I think they're going to start asking about, do you have MFA on every individual part instead of just asking overarchingly or purely on emails or on the uh, the web access to to certain things, remote access, uh, network diagrams and uh, data flow diagrams. So not just what do you have in your system, but how does 
how do your employees access the data in your system across that hardware? So they're going to start wanting to confirm you're doing things in a way that is logical and follows patterns. Uh, as well as, like Todd mentioned, um, MFA on critical infrastructure. So we are seeing some requests for it on switches and firewalls, but I think that's there is chances that will become required in a lot of locations, especially for segmenting specific types of data. I did have a question. Um, sorry, Todd, before you, you start, for those that can't see, I interrupted um, Todd on this, but I had a question because we obviously it's Cybersecurity Awareness Month for October. If our listeners didn't know that, hey, one of the reasons why we're having this podcast, but you'd mentioned that a lot of them are going to be coming more stringent, but does that apply to cybersecurity training and, you know, looking into training your staff on what to watch, or is that something that's not applicable yet? It's, it is applicable. And I, I, I might've just missed that as we were going through the laundry list of things, but training is definitely a, an assumption. So prior to that last little bit that Matthew went through, um, that was verbatim what came off of one of the last questionnaires that we got. So um, just in case anybody's curious, some of the larger insurance providers are going to be Beasley and Chubb and their their questionnaires are almost identical. And that laundry list we just ran through includes that, including the training component. Um, as we can go through this process of it's going to continue to get better, more complicated, things that they're going to say is, do you do additional training for those people with the privilege access I already mentioned? Are you going to do that training with your executives? It isn't there yet. They aren't asking that, but they will. Um, the one last one that I'll throw in there that you're going to see pop up more frequently, and I've only seen it once so far, and we do unfortunately hundreds of these um is a full-blown it audit where an, a complete an underwriter came in and did the whole thing and i i went to a customer and helped them through the process because that's what a bank goes through and this was just a manufacturer and they're like yeah i don't know what you're talking about um so i don't know how prevalent that will be but again the insurance companies are just trying to get their arms around what is this where are we going etc so to matthew's point I only seen it getting more stringent. Um, I do think that there's probably going to be a lot of organizations out there that need additional assistance. Um, if you've listened to our podcast, we've talked about it, right? There's friends, there's family, there's people like CIT out there. When you need your help, go out and find those individuals. They're, they're usually more than happy to do it and probably even use the term, we're all in this together. <laughs> um, to, to go into that a little further from a, a why these changes are happening it's these compliances that are coming out the compliances that are updating we've already got a podcast that's probably out by the time you're listening to this about the ftc uh safeguards rule changes the insurance companies are keeping track of those they don't want to be specific to just one so a lot of the things that seem to be implemented are pulled from a lot of them or an aggregate of them at the same time so you can see a pattern as you keep up or listen to these podcasts um, about the frameworks, about what you can expect to see going forward and what may be implemented and required in the future. Uh, a full IT audit is a lot. <laughs> that would be quite a shock for a lot of people. Uh, but the things that we we talk about and cover here, the, the things that are changing for the future tend to be pulled from what's required within each industry. So keeping on top of that is going to be a good a good way of fortune telling a little bit what's to come. Awesome as we're wrapping up on time here. 
I don't believe that we covered it. Maybe we have, and it was somewhere within all of the lovely tech jargon that we just went over. But is there anything that would keep somebody from getting coverage and or other thing to wrap it up? What's next? You just got handed this questionnaire. What should you do next? Yeah, again, I, I mentioned it at the beginning. I would say I we did flat out see companies not get coverage or denied because they didn't have multi-factor authentication and or EDR. Um, and in instances like that, the, the companies came back and they were like, you know, it's the OS moment. What now? And we said, well, that we, we can help you through that. That's okay. Take a breath. Went and did the implementation of these. These are not massive projects. They are not extremely expensive. So work through the process and then go back and reapply for your insurance. And you've already gone through the majority of it. So your underwriter is typically pretty okay with the process and going, just prove to me that you did actually implement the things you did and then you should be good to go. Those are the only two where I've seen an absolute no on, but everybody's going to be a little bit different. You may see different rates, et cetera. It's hard to know exactly what you're going to see. Um, and I've had others that didn't have either and got insurance, but they were like, we paid through the nose. And I was like, all right, well, let's talk about yeah. the next projects because next year you don't want to pay like this. Exactly. And when it does get rejected, there's there's a lot that goes into that. Sometimes they'll you can't renew it. You have to go and try and find another uh, insurance company, which is not an experience many people want to go through more than once. Uh, so it's definitely definitely worth trying to make sure you meet those to begin with. Um, in terms of your the other part of your question, Kelsey, what can you do? Um, a, keep track of the questions you uh, you provided last time, right? Uh, yes, there'll be some updates, but uh, I noticed that sometimes they don't provide you with a copy of what you did last time. So A, keep track of that. Maybe update that document as you go throughout the year so that when you do get a new one, you know what's changed and you can track that correctly. Um, there are organizations such as CIT uh, that will help you cover, uh, go through these checklists. Uh, Todd and myself have done a few already this year. So uh, those are the types of things that, that will help the most uh, because answering a question incorrectly even with the best of intentions can be, and then will generally be problematic for you if something goes wrong. So we wanna make sure you're getting the best information you can. Makes perfect sense. And I'm guessing based on past podcasts to store that somewhere securely. Yes. <laughs> we were listening to Nath's help, but no, thank you, Todd. Thank you, Matthew. And thank you, Tara. This was great to be able to go through. I know it was a lot of acronyms that we covered a lot. And like they mentioned, these are live examples of things that they're currently having to go through. So of course, as time goes on, if you're listening to this podcast in the future, keep an eye out. We may put out another one as all of these things change because we work in technology. And the second that something gets published, two days later, it changes. So we're rolling with it as we can. But if you do have a question for these guys or anybody on our cybersecurity team, Matthew did a beautiful, hey, if you want to work with CIT, we do these educationally, but we can help you out too as a service. Um, you can always email us info at cit-net.com or head out to our podcast website if you want to submit a question. That's cit-net.com backslash podcast. And we'll be back next week with yet another podcast. <laughs>